Hey everyone, and welcome to the May Lee Show. Good to have you. And uh, for those of you who are watching the video uh, version of this podcast, here's my dog, Aggie, in the background. She always manages to get on camera. She knows when I'm doing the show. So she deliberately goes behind me like this. Look at her little face. Anyway, uh, she's going to be 15 in October, by the way. That's why she has such a white face, a frosted face. Okay, <laughs> let's get back to the show. Uh, so it is May, um, and it is Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, as most of you, many of you know. And so we've been celebrating. Um, it's early on, but there have been many, many different events going on every day, put on by companies, organizations, nonprofits, uh, doing all sorts of different programs. And I've been involved in a few of them so far with a few of them left to go for the rest of the month. And um, one of the more recent um, events that I took part in was Compassion in SGV, which stands for San Gabriel Valley uh, here in Southern California. And this is a nonprofit group, very grassroots, uh, that started uh, – about a year and a half ago, um, and they had their first rally last year, which I participated in and spoke at. And so they asked me to come back, and it, I was very happy to do so. I'm always someone who wants to support true grassroots organizations who are doing it voluntarily, um, with no glory, um, not seeking fame. Uh, they're doing it because they care, and they care about the cause. And so I took the opportunity at this rally to address something that I have been thinking about a lot, and I think I've addressed it in a couple of videos in the past, just about the intention of activism and how we all need to come together, especially within the API um, sort of uh, realm, because there is some fragmentation going on. So let's take a look at the speech that I gave. It's pretty short. Uh, and then I'm going to come back on the other side and we'll kind of talk about it and continue. I'm going to talk about something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, and that is intention for all of us, right? We have so many activists and organizations and new foundations that have formed in the last two and a half years because of anti-Asian hate, which has been a good thing. However, we're becoming more fragmented to a certain extent. So our voices are becoming diluted in some way. And that's what I've noticed. And that's a little bit disturbing to me because I want us to work together. Yes. There's power in numbers. Right. We cannot be fragmented like this. Yes. The other thing is I want us to really be intentional, each one of us, on who we support. What groups do we support? What organizations? Are they intentional in their actions? or are they opportunistic? There's a term that I just heard uh, called performative activism. Performative activism. What does that mean? That means somebody who just wants to take a photo at a rally mm -hmm. with a celebrity, mm -hmm. post it, yep. and then they go away. And they don't do the work. They don't do the work. Because why? The work is hard, you guys. It's hard. It's exhausting work. Being an activist, it's exhausting work, constantly trying to bring and shed light on these issues. And then when the mainstream media goes away, you have to be louder. Mm -hmm. And that's really exhausting. So please support the people who do stuff like this, right? Mainstream media is not here. I saw a couple of cameras, they're not here. 
The mainstream, local, huge networks, they're not here because they've gone away. So it's up to us to stay loud, right? And to keep the spotlight on this issue and others and build that allyship. Build that power in numbers. Don't do it yourselves. Come together, you guys. I've been speaking about this for a long time and I've seen the trend. So let's try to come together and let's try to say enough is enough, right? And I'm gonna leave you with one story. Why do we do this? What is our intention, right? It's not to get the glory. It's not to hang out with the celebrities. It's because we wanna protect our grandparents, our grandmothers, yes. our mothers, our fathers, Woo! our aunties, our uncles, our kids. Asian women who are targeted the most, 65% of Asian hate crimes are against Asian women. So that should be your intention. Think about your personal family, your personal connection. I took my mom to lunch not too long ago. My mother is 85 years old. Tomorrow's mother, Mother's, Day is right, Mother's Day, right? She's 85 years old, I took her to lunch. We were walking back to the car, to the garage, and there was a flight of three steps to the car. My 85-year-old mother stopped, turned to me, and said, if someone came and pushed me, I would die. My 85-year-old mother shouldn't have to think that way. She should never have to think that way, but she does because of what's going on. So let's do what we can with that intention of protecting each other, building allyship, and working together. Okay? Thank you so much. Thank you. So, yeah, so what I was trying to say at this rally is that there is some fragmentation going on, and I wish we could come together and really act as a much more cohesive body so that we can have a lot more influence and a lot more impact. Uh, and I see that that is starting to take hold. I think a lot of members of the API community, especially organizations, see this and have um, experienced this sort of division and almost cannibalization that's taking place. And so I needed to call it, I needed to call it out. Uh, but also, I also wanted to call out the whole idea of performative activism. And I see a lot of that too. And I really want to challenge people to, if you are doing this yourself, please stop. <laughs> or at least recognize that that's what you're doing and you need to alter your intention. Um, and if you see that also happening, if you're witnessing yourself Maybe also call it out and um, help that person recognize what they're doing, that it's, it's more opportunism rather than true intentional activism where it is for selfless purposes rather than selfish purposes. Uh, I think that's something that's really important. And I looked up the definition of performative activism, and it's, it says, is activism done to increase one's social capital rather than because of one's devotion to a cause? It is often associated with surface-level activism, referred to as slacktivism, <laughs> which is an interesting term as well. Uh, so whatever you want to call it, uh, let's try and tone that down a little bit and uh, move 
through the world and uh, forward with a more positive, authentic uh, intention. Uh, but anyway, but the, the other speakers at this rally certainly were not performative, performative acti- activists. Uh, people like Jason Chu, Connie Chung-Jo were there, Kim Sara, Jack Liang, and uh, William Lex Ham. And some of these folks I had never met face-to-face, even though we know of each other, we follow each other on social media and things like that, but I had never met a lot of them face-to-face until until this rally. So it was great to finally connect um, in real life. And William Lexham uh, has been very vocal about all of the anti-Asian hate that's been taking place and the xenophobia. Um, And he's based in New York, but he happened to be here in LA. And so he was able to join us for the rally. He did something that was really, really pretty powerful at this rally. Um, There's a t-shirt that uh, was designed by Jonathan Chang, who... Um, I don't know if you guys know, he's the artist who has been doing all those portraits, uh, the digital portraits of all the victims of the anti-Asian hate um, crimes. And so he was there too, but he had designed a shirt, uh, proud AF to be Asian, Um, AF standing for, as you know, as fuck, proud as fuck to be Asian, but it was AF. Anyway, so William had brought several of these T-shirts and he asked the crowd, whoever is willing to come up on stage to say, I am proud to be Asian, you get a T-shirt. And he started with the kids and then other people joined in. Uh, But they did a compilation video of that moment at the rally. And so here's that. I want you to see this. It's it's really quite moving. Who's proud to be Asian? Tell all the people here, okay, that you are proud to be Asian. Can you do that? Okay, tell them all. I'm proud to be Asian. Designed made by Jonathan Chang, JDS Chang, who's made all these uh, portraits can be really shared across like our community. So thank you so much, Jonathan, for all the work that you do. We are proud to be Asian. And I'm proud to be Asian. Please tell the park that you are proud to be Asian. I'm proud to be Asian. So yeah, there's something so powerful about people declaring, especially little kids, declaring that they are proud to be Asian. And that's something that uh, we weren't willing to do uh, back in the day because we were hiding. We were um, trying to keep to ourselves. Uh, We were also made to feel uh, that we shouldn't be proud to be Asian, that we should feel embarrassed uh, because we were made fun of, we were bullied, and we were treated as the other and the, treated as the perpetual foreigner. So 
Never would I have imagined children getting up on stage in front of a mixed crowd saying, I am proud to be Asian. I certainly wouldn't have done that when I was growing up in Ohio. So there's something very, very powerful about instilling that notion, that idea of identity and being proud of that identity into young minds um, at that age so that they can carry that with me and truly live it, feel it, and be it, right? So thanks so much, Will, for doing that. That that really was incredible, and I'm, I'm so glad that Compassion SGV wanted to do that as well. Um, so, you know, I, I want to take an opportunity in this episode. Um, I hope you guys don't mind. It's just going to be me just talking, um, so I won't make it too long. <laughs> but I wanted to highlight some things in this episode um, that are based on a lot of reports and surveys that have come out lately about Asian Americans. And it's so enlightening and um, at times a little bit shocking, the data that that, uh, some of these surveys has come up with. And so I'm going to start with one that was done by Bain and Company. And it was a survey of 10,000 people around the world, actually. And so what it did was it examined industries in seven countries, um, so spanning North America, Europe, and Australia. So Bain & Company, it's a management consulting company. So what they found in this survey was that less than 30% of employees across all demographics, um, including straight white men and women, reported feeling fully included at work, less than 30%. So that's not a great number. But when it came to Asian men, they were at the lowest end of the spectrum at 16%, followed by Asian women at 20%. So 16% of Asian men and 20% of Asian women felt fully included at work. That was the lowest of any demographic that was surveyed. So there, the, the, there was an overwhelming like feeling that their opinion wasn't being heard or valued or supported. Uh, so it really does kind of show that Asian employees really don't feel included, you know, in their workplace. Um, and then there was another survey that was conducted recently, and that was a survey of 88 S&P 100 companies. So these are very large companies. So it's found that one in 45 white men and one in 60 white women are executives at these companies. But then one in 96 Asian men and one in 127 Asian women are executives. And that's on par with black and Latinx women. So basically Asian women, um, Compared to white women, it's like half the number uh, that are actually executives at these uh, 100 companies. Um, Sorry, at these 88 S&P 100 companies. Uh, So that is a lack of representation on the executive level. And then there's this other report that came out, the status report, and that stands for Social Tracking of Asian Americans in the U.S. So... It asks a lot of different questions just to kind of take the pulse of what Americans, how Americans view Asian Americans. So one third of those surveyed said that they were unaware of the increase in attacks against Asians. Uh, So even though, 
even though the Asian hate crimes rose by 340% from 2020 to 2021. So a third of those surveyed were unaware, which really goes to show that media hasn't done a very good job covering these stories. And when they do, it's fleeting. It's so fleeting that, you know, the public is not absorbing it enough to know that it's an ongoing problem. Uh, Another question they asked was uh, that, you know, that do you feel like you belong? So they asked different demographics um, if, if you feel like you belong and are accepted in the U.S. And Asians are the least likely to feel like they belong and are accepted. Only 29% of Asians said they, they feel that they belong. That's compared to 33% of black Americans. So Asians are at the bottom of that totem pole when, when they feel, when they're asked if they belong or they feel accepted. And then another one, this is my favorite. It's about visibility and awareness of Asian Americans, of prominent Asian Americans. So the question was, name a prominent Asian American. Okay, so these were the answers. 58% of those surveyed said they don't know. They couldn't name one prominent Asian American. Uh, In second place at 7% was Jackie Chan. Uh, Jackie Chan is Hong Kong Chinese. So he's not an Asian American. Okay. And then the third most popular answer, Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee is iconic one of the most famous Asian Americans in history for sure. Uh, He's been dead for 50 years. So the fact that he's the third most popular answer when it comes to name a prominent Asian American, that says a lot, right? That says a lot about the lack of visibility and awareness when it comes to Asian Americans still to this day. So... And finally, there's this other report um, by the Asian American Journalists Association, and that is an organization that I've been a member of for uh, many years. And uh, this is a group of Asian American journalists who try to advocate for Asian journalists and journalism and newsrooms to have better representation. Uh, So this is an institution that really has helped elevate our voices. Um, so this report they just came out with was fascinating to me. Um, they surveyed the top 20 local TV markets. And what that means is like the biggest television markets in the biggest cities, right? So top 20, like New York, LA, Chicago, Philadelphia, you know, you can probably think of all the major cities. Um, what they found was there was a incredible underrepresentation when it came to the top 20 markets. A quarter of the stations, so 22 out of 94 stations that they surveyed, had no AAPIs on the air, okay? More than 70% of the stations did not have a proportion of on-air staff comparable with the AAPI population in their area, okay? So even though they have a, you know, a higher number of Asian residents in that area, there was not the proportional... AAPI representation on the air. Only four of the 20 
of the demographics of, of the markets had an on-air staff comparable with their local AAPI population, only four out of 20. Those cities are, this is kind of surprising, Phoenix, Denver, Miami, and Cleveland. Okay. Because you would think, oh, it must be LA and New York because, you know, there's, there's huge Asian population. So of course the television market's going to reflect that. No, apparently not. Uh, Philadelphia, Detroit, and Orlando were the markets with the least proportionate AAPI representation on the air. So I can speak from personal experience for sure. You know, when I started in this business, um, when I was first trying to get my on-air job, my first, very first on-air job, this was like 1990. And this was a time when uh, anti-Japanese bashing was at a height. And the reason being is because Japan was doing really, really well economically. Uh, they were selling a lot of cars here, um, but not only that, electronics. And then on top of that, Japan was buying up a lot of iconic uh, U.S. properties, things like Rockefeller Center and Pebble Beach Golf Course. Uh, so there was a lot of resentment about that. And so when I was looking for an on-air job um, at that time, of course, no station wanted to hire an Asian face. <laughs> because of this, you know, hatred. So I think I sent out at least 60 resume tapes. That's what you had to do back then. You had to f send out an actual tape to the news directors at these different markets to take a look and see if they wanted to hire you. And of course, I did not get one person calling me back. Eventually, uh, because I stuck it out, I did finally get a chance in Redding, California, news director by the name of Calvin Hunter. I will forever thank him for giving me that shot uh, because the rest is history. My career then just continued. Uh, but it was a terrible time. Uh, so for me, I know that no market wanted to put an Asian face uh, on their airwaves. Um, but, you know, it, it was a challenging time. Um, and, it, and to see that the survey, this recent survey, is still showing that there is this underrepresentation of AAPIs is disheartening. Um, and this is just local television markets that they were surveying. I have been watching the network level TV news for a long time and tracking their AAPI representation for many, many years, obviously because I have a personal interest in this. And having been on CNN and CNBC and ABC, I paid very close attention to what other AAPIs were at that level because there weren't that many of us. For a little while, though, representation was pretty good on the network level. You had a few high-profile positions filled by Asian-American anchors uh, at different stations, including, you know, like the CNNs of the world and ABC News. Uh, but it started dropping off. And I noticed that. I really started taking note of that. I'm like, what is happening? Where are all these AAPIs going and why aren't they being replaced uh, with others who can be, you know, show that representation? And sure enough, it hasn't, the numbers have not come back. And it's fallen off a cliff, pretty much. And the Asians who are on the air on the network level, they are correspondents, which is no small thing. So I'm certainly not dismissing that level of success. 
but we're not seeing any anchors uh, in the big show. Uh, they're not sitting in the main anchor chairs. They're not sitting in the hosting chairs uh, for the morning shows. And when they are anchors, unfortunately, they're relegated to the weekends. Um, and that, just inside baseball, okay, uh, weekends is when you see more people of color <laughs> on the news. Um, it's just a fact, you guys. I'm just, I'm just telling it like it is. I've been in this business for over 30 years, so I, I know how it works. And so it's, it again, like I said, it's disheartening to see that there is this incredible lack of res- representation and this under-representation. So I hope, I hope you all pay attention to this and you see that you are not being reflected when it comes to some of these organizations. And you should demand for better representation uh, because it's not because there's a shortage of good AAPI reporters and anchors. That is for damn sure. There are a lot of them out there and they're very talented, but they just need to be given the chance. They need to be given that open door. Um, And I hope that newsrooms and executives and decision makers start paying more attention to that uh, because I don't know why it's dropped off, but I hope that more pressure, more reports like this from AAJA will help change some minds and put some, uh, you know, puts a, a spotlight on this issue. So, yeah, so it's so fascinating to see that these reports are still showing that we have a lot of work to do on the executive level in corporations um, when it comes to visibility and awareness of Asian Americans, uh, when it comes to feeling a sense of belonging and acceptance uh, for Asian Americans, it's still low. Um, So we need to do the work, right? We can't, going back to the idea of the performative activism, we can't do that, right? We can't just scratch the surface and then take off and think the job is done. The job is not done. In fact, we have to keep pushing forward. And May being Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, yes, it's just one month out out of the year. And I always joke saying, wow, we get recognized only one month out of the year. But if I want to look at the glass half full, let's take the one month, the solid month, and try to shed as much light and attention, raise as much awareness be loud, speaking up, speaking out, and educating and building those bridges of understanding and awareness and coming together and using our power, our voices, our influence, uh, because it is growing, right? Um, so let's do what we can during the month of May and on. Of, of course, we continue to do the work. But if people are paying more attention because it's May, then take advantage. Let's take advantage of that and do what we can to push our cause, push those issues, and incite some change, right? Permanent change. So that's it, folks. That's the episode. I just wanted to highlight some of these these interesting data points, some of these new reports. 
Look into it more. It's all online. Look at these reports. Read them thoroughly um, because there's a lot more in there. I just gave you some bits and pieces, but it's all available for free online. So just Google it, aaj.org. You can go to taf.org or look for the status report, S-T-A-A-T-U-S report. Uh, that other survey um, was by Bain and Company. And then the survey of 88 S&P 100 companies, I believe it was done by USA Today. Uh, so look that up. But that's what we need to do. We need to educate ourselves so therefore we can move forward and educate others around us. Okay? All right. Let's keep celebrating during the month of May and beyond. Take care, everyone.